Uh, I know it's a little bit different for me to set up here, but we're going to start a new sermon series going through the book of Romans, talking about salvation. Um, and so it's going to be, I'm going to preach, but there's going to be lots of teaching in this. And the teaching is going to stretch you. It's going to stretch me. It's going to cause you to rethink things. It's, it might even make you mad. You ever left church mad? I hope so. Because that means that you're arguing with you know, your flesh is struggling and battling with the Spirit. And so I'm hoping at the end of this, it's not going to be an in-depth study, but it's going to be a, a study through the book of Romans several weeks. And so we're going to hit um, some of the main points. And, and again, I really hope it transforms the way that we think. What we think about salvation, it changes the way that we think about who Jesus is and what he's done. I really hope that, that as we go through this, that it does, you know, rub some of those rough edges off of us. And that at the end of this time, we look more like Jesus. Yeah. All right. So Romans, the book of Romans was written to a church in Rome. There you go. Um, I know some of you are like, trick question. No, it was to the book. Uh, usually the, in the New Testament... The title of the, uh, the book there is The Letter uh, Was Written to That Church, and so it's named after that. So it was written to the, the uh, church there in Rome. And the church in Rome was split. When I say split, they were arguing over issues. What had happened was the Jews that were, uh, had lived in Rome, but they had been uh, kicked out of Rome, and now they're able to come back. And when they come back into Rome... Uh, the church looked different. Um, it had taken on a, a lot of a, a very Gentile flavor, if you want to say. And so now they're arguing over things. They're arguing over lots of different things. Tradition or, or the law compared to the uh, freedom in Christ. And so they're going to be arguing over things like what day of the week should we meet. They're going to be arguing over things like circumcision. They're going to be arguing over things of like... Um, feasts and all those things. They're going to be arguing over those things. And so uh, Paul writes this letter to them, hoping that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, would unite them. You, because unity comes through Jesus Christ, doesn't it? I mean, you may disagree with people on a lot of things, but uh, believers, we should be able to unite around who Jesus Christ is. And so this is Paul's intention. All right, I'm going to explain who Jesus is. I'm going to explain salvation. I'm going to explain uh, what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the resurrection. And so we're, and, and this is going to unite the church under the banner of the gospel. And so really, as we go through this, let this unite our hearts. Let this tie our hearts together in agreement over the gospel. So in Romans 1, we find out that Paul, Paul's the writer. He's saying, I, Paul, am writing this letter. I serve Christ Jesus. Uh, did I tell you we're in Romans 1? Okay, this is verse 1. I'm sorry. I uh, was just making sure. Uh, all right, so let me start over. I, Paul, am writing this letter. I serve Christ Jesus. I've been appointed to be an apostle. God sent me, uh, God set me apart to tell others his good news. And that good news there, gospel, good news, interchangeable. Gospel means good news. So in verse 2, he promised the good news long ago. He announced it through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about God's Son. 
He was born in the family line of King David. By the Holy Spirit, he was appointed to be the mighty Son of God. God did this by raising him from the dead. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We received grace because of what Jesus did. He made us apostles to the, to the Gentiles. We must invite all of them to obey God by trusting in Jesus. We do this to bring glory to him and glory to who? To Jesus. So here he starts off, uh, before we go to chapter, verse 16 in chapter 1, he's saying, look, I want you to unite around this. I want you to unite as a, as a church. We, there's some things that we have in common, and the thing that we most have in common is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's unite, church. So let's skip on down to verse 16. Paul continues, he says, I want to preach it, and by it, he means the gospel. I want to preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the good news. It is God's power to save everyone who believes. It is meant first for the Jews. And it is also meant for the Gentiles. The good news shows God's power to make people right with himself. God's power uh, to be God's power to be made right with him is given to the person who has faith. It happens by faith from beginning to end. It is written, the one who is right with God will live by faith. So there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. We won't unpack everything, but we're going to unpack a lot. First, the gospel of Jesus is good news. In fact, again, that's what the gospel means. Gospel means good news. For a lot of us, we grew up, and, and maybe the gospel didn't seem as good of a news. Maybe it seemed um, very critical. Maybe it seemed very guilt-ridden. Some people even refer to it as the guilt gospel. You grow up in the guilt gospel where, you're, where you have this picture of God as he sits on his throne and he's waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you dead. The word where you smite you. That's the word we only use when to God. I want you to use that sometime today. I'm going to smite you if you talk back to Anyway, so we don't use that smite, but you're waiting for God to smite you. You mess up one little bit, and he's going to be angry with you, and you know you're in trouble of his punishment. And what we find is that the gospel is good news. And if... God was on his throne waiting for you to mess up, waiting for you to step out of line so that he could bring destruction on you. So he could, that's not good news. That's terrible news. Because you know what? You're going to mess up today. You probably already messed up sometime. Like husbands, if you're not sure you messed up, ask your wife. She'll tell you. You probably messed up already. And so if, if we serve a God who's ready to, to deliver punishment, or you have this picture of, of God with lightning bolts ready to send them down, if this is your idea, then it's not good news. But what we see here over and over, Paul says that the gospel is good news. And why is it good news? First, it says, because Jesus was killed and raised from the dead. You're like, that's not good news. It is good news. And here's why. Because God is good, this is good news. How good is He? Okay? We are sinful. We are wretched. The guilt gospel really focuses on that, though. 
It focuses in on how terrible you are and how hard you are. And that's kind of the main point of the whole story. But the gospel, that's not true. The true gospel is the main story is, the main character, the main theme throughout this is that God is good. And that God is so good that he was willing to go to a cross and die on a cross, be crucified. It was a way to, uh, a manner of death, of punishment at this time. He was willing to die and be raised from the dead, why does he have to die? Well, the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that we all deserve to die. We all deserve death. And that God is so good, here's the good news, that God is so good that Jesus, which is God in the flesh, came and lived a perfect life. He he didn't sin at all. And if he didn't sin, he didn't deserve death. But because he didn't, Deserved death, he died, and now God's righteousness, his, his justice was carried out on Jesus so that now we can experience life. The good news is that Jesus was killed and raised from the dead. Raised from the dead, why? Why is this good news? Because he shows, it shows that God has power, Jesus has power over death, the grave, and sin. Easter is a great day. Resurrection Sunday is a great day. We celebrate that because it shows the victory. It's the victory lap. The empty tomb. The empty tomb demonstrates how good God is. God is good also. We know that God is good because now we can receive the grace of God. The word grace, sometimes we use these words and we just, like, you ask somebody, what does grace mean? And they were like, you know, it means Grace. <laughs> if you define a word with the same word, it, it means you don't know what it means. And that's okay. It's not a problem. I mean, you just have to figure out and, and, and understand what the word means. And so for us, grace, what we see in Scripture, for us to know what grace is, grace is the undeserved favor of God. Basically, God's going to give us something that we did not earn. In fact, He's going to give it to us for no other reason than He is a loving, good God. And Jesus Christ went to, the, went to the cross, was killed, was resurrected from the dead so that we could receive what we did not earn. So that we could gain an inheritance with Jesus. And so, so it's good. This gospel is good news because now we get something we didn't deserve. And what is that? It's to, get to, it's to have our sins forgiven, to be with God forever, to have life. All those things are given to us because of the grace of God. The grace of God gives us an opportunity to, to pray and, and God hear us. Our sins should separate us from God for all eternity. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the resurrection that took place, we now have that undeserved favor we get to speak to God in prayer, the creator of the universe. We can speak to him through Jesus Christ. Grace. Amen. And not only that, but it says the gospel is good news because we are made right with God. It tells us right there that the good news shows God's power to make people right with himself. Why is this good news? Because you're born an enemy of God. 
You were born an enemy of God. You're like, an enemy of God? Yes, you were born a traitor. Like, you're like, what does that mean? It means that you were born hating the things of God. You're like, I didn't hate the things of God. Okay, let's look at this. Kids seem really sweet, don't they? Like, babies are so sweet. Until they bite you. And laugh. They, they think it's funny. Your pain that you experience. Kids are all cute. Until they say that cuss word they learned from their grandpa. And laugh. Until you spank them. And, you know, kids, there they are. They're, they look so cute and innocent until they lie to your face. I didn't do that. I saw you do it. No, you didn't. Like, I literally saw you do that. No, you didn't. I've got a video of it. That's not real. Yeah, It's just, we were born hating the things of God and wanting to go our own way. God didn't hate us, but we hated Him. Hate's a strong word. I know. But we didn't want anything to do with God. We wanted to be our own God. We wanted to do what made us feel right, feel good. And as we get older, that continues. And so for us to be right with God would be that we, as traitors that rebelled against the king, we would have to be made right with the king. And the only way that happens in right standing with the king is through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that took place three days later. Now we can be made not enemies of God. We were born enemies of God, but now we can be called friends of God. That's what Scripture says. So we change from enemy to friend. That's why this is good news. Again, somebody that commits treason, even we know what the penalty for that is. Anybody know? Death. And so here we rebelled against the king. We... We should deserve, or we deserve, we should experience death, but because of what Jesus Christ did, He took our place because of our acts of treason. We should die. But Jesus says, I'll take that punishment so that you can go from someone that rebels and an enemy to the king, and now you can become a son and a friend. That's good news. That's why we call it the gospel. Because that's what we focus, we should focus in on how good God is. The gospel is good because God is good. That's the, that's the central theme of the gospel. That's the part that we really look at and should stare into and be amazed at. And if you want to use the word all, that's what we should look in all of, how good God is. Uh, there are times that we do need to realize how sinful we are. And as, as, as hymns have written that we're wretch, and some hymns would say that we're a worm, all those things are true. But that's not the central theme of the gospel. The central theme of the gospel is that God is good. Amen. And that God is for us. And that God loves us in spite of who we are. And God is chasing after us and running after us to catch us. But we're running from Him. And he's running after us. He's chasing us down. In fact, some of you today may be running from him. And you being here today, hearing this word, is God chasing after you. 
running. And so here we are running from God as fast as we can. And we, we just, we're praying. We're praying. That if you are far from God, running from God, that you would understand today there's a God that loves you. Just the way you are with all of your mess-ups and all of your history and all of your baggage, He loves you. Now, what do we know about this gospel? Well, Paul wants to go on and tell us this. He tells us a few things. One, he says this, that God declared the gospel through the apostles. That's Him. The apostles were the ones that were appointed here, that were with Jesus, that saw Jesus, the ones that declared the gospel in the early church. He says, and really we look at the New Testament writings is included in this. And so he's saying, God has declared the gospel through the apostles. And this is where we often look to. We look to this and say, yes, we can see the good news. Yes, Paul and Peter and, 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 and James and John and all those apostles, you can see where you know, they shared the gospel. And man, they, they, were, they wrote letters to churches like the letter here in Romans. This is part of the apostles. And so God's like, I want you to know about the gospel. I want it to be clear to you. I want you to be able to sink your teeth into it. I want you to be able to chew on it. I want you not to just have it in passing. I want you to understand the depths of my love. I want you to chew on it. And not only that, but it says that God declared uh, the gospel through the prophets. You saw the very beginning. He says, hey, I'm an apostle. But he also announced this gospel through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he, he announced the gospel in the prophets. And that's the Old Testament for us. Some of us look at the Old Testament and we think, yeah, that's what they used to follow and we don't really have to follow that anymore and sometimes we place a a lesser importance on the old testament than we do the new testament and we're guilty of that we're very guilty of that but the old testament's rich with the gospel it's declaring that there is a messiah that will come that will bring salvation and then the characters that are in the old testament Show us what the Messiah will look like, what the promised one will look like, what Jesus will look like. The one that I'll most often use, and y'all probably heard it, and I just want us to remember this, is, is David. As he takes a step onto the battlefield, we often put ourselves in the, in, the, in the shoes of David, and that's not where we are in this story. David is Jesus. Jesus is the greater David. Here we are, we're the Israelites that are hiding out, scared to death to face the giant for days at a time, knowing that the giant will kill us. And then our victor, our champion, steps out onto the battlefield and kills our giant for us. The same way that Jesus looked and saw that we had this, this giant, this sin and death in the grave, and we were hiding out, and Jesus takes the, the battlefield and kills our giant for us. Or, or, or Joseph, you know, Joseph in the coat of many colors. Joseph, he, his brothers betray him, sell him into slavery. Basically, tell his, well, tell his father that he's dead, he's left for dead, and yet he brings salvation to all of his people. Jesus is the greater Joseph. You have Isaac as he, and we'll talk about Isaac again in a minute, but here's Isaac as he carries the wood on his shoulders. Because God had told Abraham, Abraham wants you to sacrifice your son. 
Now, if you don't know the rest of that story, God provides a lamb. Okay? And, 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 and so it's, it's not a, some of the times we talk about it, it's a test. But it's more than a test. It's not a test of Abraham's faith. It's really a demonstration of what our Lord would look like as here he is, Isaac, carrying the the wood that would be placed on the altar for the sacrifice as he would be sacrificed by the Father would be an example of how Jesus carries his wood, the cross, up the hill as his Father kills him for us. For us so that we can have salvation. And so God declares the gospel through the prophets. And then he goes on, Paul goes on further, and he says, listen, this is for all people. He says, it's, it's, for, the, it's for the Jew, it's for the Gentiles, it's for everybody. And we need to preach this gospel to everybody. And so if you're in here and you're thinking, I don't know if the gospel is really for me, I don't know if God can love me, He loves you. Amen. The gospel is a story of love. The gospel is a story of a God who loves a people who have rejected him, who have sold him into slavery, who have given him away. All the things that we see in the Old Testament. Rejected him. It's for you. It's for you. The gospel is for all people. What God would have you, if you think it's not for you, here's what God would have you know. God would have you know he loves you. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. And he knows you're messed up. And he knows the mistakes you've made. And he, and, and he wouldn't say, he loves you anyway. He would say, that's why I went to the cross. Because I know. And then it ends with this part. And I'm not done because we've got several more things we're going to read. We're, we'll get out of here in time, though. We see here at the very end, it says, hey, God's power to be made right with him is given to the person who has faith. It happens by faith from beginning to end. It is written, the one who is right with God will live by faith. So we see that this first part is summed up in this, that salvation comes through Jesus by faith. So through what Jesus did on the cross and by faith. What does faith mean? That's another one of those words. And lots of people, I mean, you could preach you could preach several days on the idea of what faith is. But let's just, let's just do this, okay? Just a small idea of faith. Faith is, some people say a belief, but it's more than a belief. Some people say it's trust, but it's more than trust. Faith is a belief or trust that leads to action. If it doesn't lead to action, it's not faith. It has to be by faith, by a belief that leads to action, a trust that leads to action, okay? Now, there's some people that you like, and you would even say you love, but you don't trust them. Because they pick on you all the time. You don't know if they're ever serious. I mean, I can be that way sometimes. In fact, if I bought a chair up here and I said, hey, do you think that's a chair? And you'd say, yes, I think it's a chair. I believe it's a chair. You told me it's a chair, it's a chair. I'm like, okay, have a seat. And you're like, I don't know if I want to. Because you're worried if the, if the chair's going to fall apart, if, if, if I might yank it out from under you or something like that, right? So like you, you believe that there's a chair, but you don't have faith in me. You believe I told you it's a chair, but you don't have faith in me. But then there's other people in your life 
Like maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your daddy, maybe you had a great relationship, maybe it's an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. Maybe it's, maybe it's the person that you're married to. Hopefully it's the person you're married to. If not, we'll do a sermon series in a few weeks and work on that. But let's say they call you up and say, hey, there's a chair here. And I know you're tired. I need you to rest. I need you to sit down in the chair. And if you have faith, you believe what they tell you that it's a chair. You believe that you need, because you know you need rest. And then you trust them to the point you take an action that you plop yourself down in that seat. That you sit down. Some of us are trying to claim that we have faith in Jesus and we keep looking at the chair, walking around it, and we never sit down and trust, like that trust that leads to action. We won't actually, because I don't know if he'll hold me up. The truth is what we, we know, I'll tell you, God is big enough to hold you up. Amen. He, he's, he's bigger than you can ever imagine. What Scripture says, he can do imaginably more than we can think or imagine. He can hold you up. Have a faith that leads to action. Not just a belief, not just I know that God, I know that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected for me. Okay, you believe that. Now let that belief change the direction of your life. That's faith. That's faith. Abraham, whenever he took Isaac up to the mountain, because God said, take your son to the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham pulled the knife above his head to plunge it into his son because he had faith in God. You're like, faith? It was a belief that led to action. Here's the belief that he had, and we find it in the New Testament. Abraham believed that God would always keep his promise, that Isaac was the child of promise, that if he were to kill his son, that God would have to raise him from the dead to keep his word. So Abraham raised the knife. Because he had a faith that led to action. He trusted God above all else. Now, let's go ahead and read on down to verse 18, okay? Or in verse 18. It says, God shows his anger from heaven. Now, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? That's a powerful word. God has anger and anger from heaven. Now, this is the picture some of you grew up with, okay? That God had this anger from heaven. And you're just, you see an angry God. And Well, let's continue. Let's see what else it says. Because sometimes you take something out of context, you totally misunderstand it. So uh, again, in verse 18, God shows his anger from heaven. It's against all the godless and evil things people do. You get that last one? What they do, they are so evil, they say no to the truth. The truth about God is plain to them. God has made it plain. Ever since the world was created, it has been possible to see the qualities of God that are not seen. I'm talking about His eternal power and about the fact that God, uh, about the fact that He is God. Those things can be seen. And what he has made. So people have no excuse for what they do. Okay. Okay. Not only did God declare his gospel through the apostles. Not only did he declare the gospel uh, through the prophets. But here we also see that he declared himself to be God. He declared the beginning of the gospel. He is God. He declared the good news through creation. 
that all you have to do is look around and see and know that the universe, everything that was made, everything that is made, everything that was made, was made by God, made by Jesus. And all you have to do is look around and see how well things are put together to know that this was not put together by accident. That things are so precise that it couldn't just happen by accident. That there had to be an intelligent designer that put this all together. Not just the world, but the universe. That the universe is like so large. We use the word infinitely large, but it has an ending, okay? Somewhere it ends. But it's so big, we can't understand how it ends. But also, the universe, and this is for some of you science nerds, is so small that we can't comprehend it. Like, like what's everything made of? The lowest that we've gotten is something called string theory that says little strings of energy, pure energy. And you're like, wait, what does that mean? If you don't, don't worry about it if you don't get it. It's just so small, we don't know. We don't, we don't have a clue. And we don't understand how it's really all held together. It, look, we go outside and we look around and we see and, and, and we can look at a sunset. We can look at uh, the people around us. We can think about the relationships that we have with one another. You can see animals as they live with their environment. You can understand that there is a God who put things together. You have to know. There's God. Now, some people want to discredit this and say there was not a God, and God didn't put it together, and God didn't create it. There's a few problems with that. Again, science nerds, you're with me just for a second. One, how did the universe begin? And somebody says, the Big Bang. Okay, how did that start? Well, something caused it. What? What what caused it? Well, we don't know. Uh, Well, I do. You know, if that's what God chose to do is a Big Bang, okay, I know. Um, Because, again... I don't want to get too, too far in this with the philosophers, but there has to be an uncaused cause. You know, everything has a cause, except for God. God was never caused, so he caused everything else, an uncaused cause. And so, so you, somewhere along there, that has to happen, and so we know creation. And then sometimes, look, we just get silly. You want to know how silly people get trying to explain that God didn't create everything? Take the whale. Y'all know the whale? Swims, blue whale. Big whale, humpback whales, all those whales. You know where some people say that whales came from? That somewhere, sometime in history, there was no life and then there was life. Well, where did it come from? Nobody knows. It always starts with this. Perhaps it started this way. Or maybe it started this way. Evolutions, they don't get it, okay? They don't know. There's no explanation about that. All I got to do is look up an uh, idea of theory of sales. It used to be sale law, but now they've changed that. But anyway, so um, look that up, and, and they'll say that the first sale that could replicate, self-replicate, it started to evolve, and then it became some kind of sea creature. And then that sea creature lived close to land long enough that it started to go on land. The first fish that developed lungs drowned, by the way. Anyway, anyway it came some kind of sea creature. And it started getting that land, and finally it made it to land, and it grew legs and turned into a hippo-type creature with a tail until it decided it didn't like land a whole lot, and it started living close to water again, and the legs started shrinking up, shrinking up until now it has fins, and that's where whales came from. So it came from the sea to land back to sea. Crazy, isn't it? Uh, Again, one last thing for my science people, okay? Do 
do organisms change with, uh, within species? There are changes within species. We have some mutations in here. Any redheads in here? You're mu- okay, y'all are mutants. That's a mutation. We got blue-eyed people in here. Any blue-eyed folks? Mutants. Y'all got a mutation. Uh, there are changes within species, but we don't see. We do not see anywhere with one type of thing becomes another. Amen. God made it His creation to declare His glory. And for anybody who tries to steal, steal that glory for chance, I will rebuke. That is just nonsense to me. Because the Scripture says that His glory is declared through His creation. Through His creation. And that when you go out today and to this afternoon and you see the sunset and you say something like this, there has to be a God. You're proving that the Scriptures are true. Amen. And so what does that mean? It means that God declared His gospel through creation. Now, Let's go back to this. God shows his anger from heaven. You heard it spoke like that? Probably worse than that, and they spit a lot. But what does he show his anger against? It says he showed against all the godless and evil people. It doesn't say that. It says against all the evil things people do. God hates sin. Sin destroys us in our relationship with God. Sin separates us from God, and sin destroys our life. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Talking about false prophets, Satan, but really, ultimately, it comes to the idea. Why? Because they cause us to sin. So sin comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So God hates sin. Why does God hate sin? Because it comes to steal your life, destroy your life. It comes to kill you. Parents, I want you to imagine it this way. I heard an illustration this week I really like. It's as if you have a child, and that child gets addicted to a drug, and that drug takes over their life, and that drug causes you to be separated from them. And then it causes, that drug causes them to lose their family and their children and their job and their future. And now they end up living homeless somewhere Do you hate that drug? You hate that drug. You love your child, but you hate the drug. Why? Because the drug destroyed your child's life. God hates sin because it destroys our life. He hates sin because it causes there to be a, a break in relationship with Him. And so here, He shows His anger from heaven because there's sin that causes us to be separated from Him And have our lives destroyed. Man. God hates sin. And then it ends this way. It says, um, so people have no excuse for what they do. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Let me just, another little thing here that we need to cover is that Jesus Christ is the only hope for anyone. Now, sometimes we think of it this way. We think, what about those people who never heard? over in another country, and they die never hearing about Jesus. Do they go to hell? Their only hope is Jesus Christ. You're like, that's hard. That's tough. That's not fair. First of all, God's not fair. Because if God was fair, we all go to hell. If God is fair, we all go to hell. Was it fair that Jesus went to the cross for me? Yeah, it was not fair. 
I'm thankful that he did, and I'm glad that God's unfair from, on my behalf. But the people who have never heard, first they have creation, and truth reveals truth. And with creation, creation declares who God is. If people will search out and seek after the true creator, God will reveal himself to them. Amen. But the hard truth of this is that those people who have never heard are paying the price for their forefather's sin. Amen. We all came from the family line of Noah. Right. We all came from Adam and Eve, but then the earth was flooded and now Noah. Noah's family understood who God was. They understood the greatness of God, the power of God. They understood the, the judgment of God with the flood, but they also understood the salvation of God, the boat, the ark, which also is representation of Jesus Christ. They understood God and they understood God's salvation, but somewhere along the way, they decided to reject God's truth. And when their forefathers rejected God's truth, now these people pay the price. It's the same way as if we had a young, let's say a young man, a young man that grew up in our county, maybe a neighbor of yours. And this young man was in a home and his parents did not believe in God, did not follow Jesus, hated the things of God, hated the things that the church stood for, and, and, and really led their child that way, we would feel sorry for that child and we would try to reach that child because we understood that their parents, his forefathers, had rejected God and now we have to reach him. The same is true for these people who have not heard. They're paying the price of their forefathers. Now here's why we do this. This is just a side note for us. It's A lot of times we will reach out to this young man whose parents are ungodly and try to reach them and bring them to church. But then we blame God for all the ones who haven't heard. And we say, that's not fair. And what we're really doing is saying, I'm willing to invest a little bit of time and a little bit of money to reach this one, but I'm not going to get off my butt or my checkbook to reach these. And so, God, I'm going to blame you for what I'm not doing. Amen. And so, so we end this, because I'm, I'm smart. That, was, that should be an amen right there. Let's try it again. I'm smart. Amen. There you go. But I'm not as smart as God. That should have been a bigger amen. amen. I'm not as smart as God. Amen. Now, watch. I got a plan. And if I got this plan, God's smarter than me, so he would know. If it were true, if it were true, everybody who had never heard goes to heaven, not responsible, innocent of the gospel, right? Um, if this was true, here's the plan. Send Jesus secretly. Let him die. You can even let him die publicly, but let him be killed. Let him be resurrected, but secretly, so that nobody knows who he was, what he did, or the resurrection, or anything about the gospel. Now, everybody who dies goes to heaven. If it were true that anybody who never heard goes to heaven. Now, if I'm not smart, God's way smarter than me. But if it's true that the only way that we can find forgiveness is through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross, then we better get busy. And stop thinking about and worrying about what about those people who have never heard. We need to think about those people who have never heard. We need to hurry up and get the gospel to them. We better hurry up. So now it makes it really real. Like, like, 
do we buy that fourth car that really nice just or, or do we send some money over so that some missionaries can reach reach these unreached people group with the gospel so, so now we, we finish up and, and we'll be done. In 21, it says, They knew God, but they did not honor Him as God. They, they didn't thank Him. Their thinking became worthless. Their foolish hearts became dark. They claimed to be wise, but they made fools of themselves. They would rather have statues of gods than the glorious God who lives forever. Their statues of gods are made to look like people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Just basically, it looked like creation. In verse 24, so God let them go. It's a sad one right there. So God let them go. He allowed them to do what their sinful hearts wanted to do. He let them commit sexual sins. They made one another's bodies impure by what they did. They chose a lie instead of the truth about God. They worshipped and served created things. They didn't worship the Creator, but He is praised forever. Amen. God allows us to have what we want. In this scripture, it says, they exchanged the truth for a lie. And in 24, it says, so God let them go. He allowed them to do what their sinful hearts wanted to do. God's not going to force himself on us. He lets us choose. Like, like he's chasing after us. He's pursuing us. But he lets us choose. And if the same way that truth reveals truth, sin leads to sin. To the place where these people, sin calls them to love a lie. It says in 25, they chose a lie instead of the truth about God. That they worshipped and served created things. That they would rather have this lie. And so as, they, as sin leads to sin leads to sin, the lie gets to be bigger and they devote themselves to this lie. The same way if we fall in love with God, we devote ourselves to God. People who fall in love with this lie fall in love with sin devote themselves to the lie, devote themselves to sin. And the sin starts small and grows bigger. The same way our relationship should continue to grow with Christ, this relationship with sin continues to grow. And as it grows, it gets bigger and bigger, a bigger part of their life, a stronger influence in their life, until eventually they are in the full bondage of sin. Now, you ask, why would God do this? Why would a loving God do this? Why would God let them go? It sounds like he's giving up. Like, I'm done. I'm finished with them. They had their chance. That's what we do. That's not why God does this. In fact, you see this later in other places. It says, hey, let them be turned over for the destruction of the flesh but so that their, their soul can be saved. God turns them over to their sinful hearts, their sinful ways, their desires, to the place where if they finally hit rock bottom and they have nowhere else to go, like we see with the prodigal son as he eats, or as he wants to eat it out of the pig pen, he hits rock bottom. 
nowhere else to go, has used up the inheritance. As we saw a few weeks ago with Gomer, as Gomer has used up the rights of a marriage, and now here she is on the, the slave blocks being sold. That in those moments, at that moment where they're in the pig pen, maybe, maybe, they will turn and say, I could at least go home to my father's house. Amen. Or as Gomer, as she's on the slave block, as we would be, our husband, our Savior shows up and says, I will buy her back. Yeah. And so even this, in 24 is an act of love. To let them go to hit rock bottom. But here's what we finally see. The truth will set you free. The truth of the gospel is that yes, we are all sinful and we're all wicked. That, that we all have a destiny that's, that's hell. But... Jesus Christ came and paid a price for us that we couldn't pay for ourselves. He died on the cross for us and He was resurrected from the dead to show that He had power over sin, over the grave, over death. And that if we will place faith, the faith is a trust, a belief in Him that changes the direction of our life, changes us and causes us to act that we can have a future. It also is true for us that for the gospel... That Jesus is the center of the story. Like he's the main point. Like my, my sinfulness, my wicked acts, that's not the, the center point of the story. Like that's, that's not what we focus on. That's not the climax of the story. The best part of my life is Jesus. That, that's the that's the focal point. And now there's some of you, and I just want to make sure that we cover this. Some of you may be at that place where you're taking a step away. Like you're starting to believe the lie of the enemy. And it could be for a lot of different things. You know, it... it and it could very well be that the pleasures of this world look so much bigger than your God right now. And like you're taking a step chasing after the pleasures of this world away from our God that's, that's chasing and pursuing you. Or maybe you're somebody that's young in here and you're, you're starting to date or you've been dating somebody that's not a believer and you're like, man, I know God doesn't want me to date this person and I know that this person's bad for me and they lead me away from the Lord, but I can fix them. God's the one who fixes. Amen. You can't fix them. That's right. Probably what's going to happen is they're going to break you. And, but the good news is God can put you back together and fix you. But God, you're taking a step away thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after this broken 
person. And God says, come after me, the one who fixes the broken. Maybe it's financial. And you're taking your, like, like it seems so big. And like, I want to be rich. And I want to be, have all this money. And I want to, man, my bank account's looking so good. And God's like, I need you not to trust your bank account. But I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I don't know where it is that maybe is drawing you and leading you, but God's like, I'm better. I'm better. Bigger and brighter. But for the ones that are of us who are believers who saved, here's what I want us to see. Salvation is made possible for us because our God is good. Like our God is good. That our God loves us. In spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, our, our God loves us. He's for us. He's rooting for us. He wants us to do well. He wants us to be successful spiritually. He wants our marriages to work. He wants our kids to grow up godly. He's rooting for us. He wants you to eat today, but he also wants you to provide a meal for somebody else today. Man, he's, he's for us. And so as we stand, if you'll stand with me, and as we stand, the altar's going to be open. Some of you might just need to come and pray to our Father and pray that he would be big to you in your eyes, in your mind. Maybe you forgot how good salvation is. Maybe you forgot why, what grace is all about. And you just want to worship a God who gives you grace. Whatever it is that God would have you do, you respond and you worship Him because He's the only one who deserves our worship. You worship Him. Lord, Father, I ask that right now, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the good news. God, I, don't, I know I don't deserve your love, and, uh, but you give it to me. You love me. And Lord, too many times I make my life about me. Lord, I have to say there's too many I statements about my life. I'm this or I'm that. or God, help me to see my life as being more... No. Help me better understand how my life is about you. God, lead me. And Lord, Father, I pray for the ones that are being lured away. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Because I know if you reveal yourself to them, Everything that this world has to offer, as the hymn says, grows strangely dim. You respond as the Spirit moves.